Welcome to The Ziggler Show. This is episode 472, and I'm your honored host, Kevin Miller. Today, we discuss the main things you need to address if you have any desire to start a business, or even if you've already started one, we address the issues many people miss that end up handicapping them later. Our guest is Christy Wright, best-selling author of Business Boutique, just released in April 2017. She has a top-ranked podcast of the same name. You may know her from her sell-out live events as a primary personality with Dave Ramsey. I'll tell you this. I spent a solid seven years walking with over a thousand people striving to transition from traditional employment to self-employment. What we cover in this interview with Christy is literally the best I've ever heard. She wowed me and I believe she'll wow you too. what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. As you get value from The Ziggler Show, I have another show for you to tune into. In Ziggler Show episode 378, we interviewed New York Times bestselling author Kevin Cruz, whose book, 15 secrets successful people know about time management significantly changed the way I work. He has launched a new podcast called lead X where he gets top leadership experts, CEOs and entrepreneurs to reveal their biggest failures and to give actionable advice that you can apply right away. If you want to accelerate your career and reach your full potential, the lead X show helps you to stand out and get ahead. Subscribe to the lead X show in Apple podcasts or stitcher lead X is a great way to start your day. Support for today's show also comes from Shutterstock. Every business needs high quality image to attract and keep customers. Whether you're making brochures or ads or putting the final touches on your next tweet, the visuals you choose are proven to make a big difference. So get started today with a 20% discount at shutterstock.com slash Ziggler. Okay, friends, I want to tell you just a bit more about Christy before we get started. As you'll hear, she is both entertaining and inspiring, and I'd say equipping as well. Christy Wright presents messages that educate and give hope to audiences nationwide. As the creator of Business Boutique and through her podcast and sell out live events, Christy has equipped thousands of women to successfully run and grow a business so they can make money doing what they love. Though, as you'll hear today, the info we walk through is every bit as relevant for you and me and men and everyone. Wright is a certified business coach and Ramsey personality. Since joining Ramsey Solutions in 2009, she's spoken to audiences across the country at women's conferences, national business conferences, and Fortune 500 companies. Her new book, Business Boutique, released April, 2017. You can follow Christy Wright on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, B, 
Right, W-R-I-G-H-T. And online, you can find her at ChristyWright.com or Facebook.com slash official Christy Wright. So now, folks, I bring you Tom Ziegler and Christy Wright. Here we go. Well, Christy, we've uh, had you on the radar for the Ziegler Show for well over a year now. I'm incredibly honored to finally have you here. Thanks for taking time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I love what you guys do. I'm glad, glad to be here. Well, likewise, and as everybody's going to hear, well, you know, the folks that listen, they know that your topic on business here is, is near and dear to my heart. So I want to start right from the top. Your introduction uh, had a uh, multiple things in there I want to hit on, and I felt like it really encompasses the primary premise and your motivation for the whole book. So as a kid, I'll just preface everybody because they're going to get the book. So here's your preface, folks. Oh, awesome. As a kid, you had the example of a father and an aunt amidst farms and horses, and you grew a desire to live a similar lifestyle. Then you end up in your early 20s juggling roommates, working 80 hours a week, and looking to downsize, have less responsibility. You look for something else to rent and get surprised to see a 40-acre farm. Right. Uh, it struck a nerve, you said, and then you write, I didn't think, I just jumped. So instead of downsizing, you radically upsized three times what you've been paying for rent. And you write, and I'll have to admit loving this quote, sometimes life's greatest adventures aren't practical. I wasn't focused on the rent or the fact that I've never even lived on a farm. I focused on my dream. So take that story, if you will, and just share the overall spirit and, and somewhat philosophy you're advocating in your message. Sure, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, I have a great benefit of my outlook on life of kind of being this go-getter, let's make it work type of mentality comes from two primary areas. Number one, um, I'm a optimist. I'm a, I have a very positive attitude. Like that's just in my wiring, even in my strengths finders, positivity is one of my top strengths. And so I'm always a, where there's a will, there's a way. I just assume in any situation, I assume I can do it. I can figure out a way to make it work. So that's just kind of my, my baseline. But I also had these incredible examples growing up. So my mom, you know, she pursued her passion and started a business and she has the same go-getter mentality of you can do it. And so um, it's interesting. I actually had an experience in college one time and there was a girl that was my roommate and we were both going to Europe. And I noticed in the itinerary that we were going to have a nine hour layover in Chicago on the way to go to Europe. And I said, when I saw this on the itinerary, I said, oh my gosh, we can go around downtown Chicago. We can go shopping. We can go to fun restaurants. And she said, well, I don't think we can do that. And I said, well, why not? She said, I just don't think we can. Now, she didn't have any basis for believing that we couldn't. And I didn't have any basis for believing that we could. But that's just a good example of our mentality. Like, she's more of a cautious person. And her outlook on life is she's a rule follower. And she assumes that she can't until proven otherwise. And I'm the opposite. I assume that I can unless proven otherwise. I'm a kind of ask forgiveness, not permission kind of person. And so you take that combination of personality style, but also having these incredible examples. And even though if I don't exactly know how things are going to work, uh, sometimes to my detriment because I make more mistakes, but even if I don't know how they're going to work, I assume that they can work and I find a way to make them work if I'm, if I'm able to. Okay. Well, right on that aspect of being a rule follower and being cautious or not. So I'm admittedly a Christy, a kindred spirit and being driven by dreams, visions, convictions, and not being handicapped by those real or perceived obstacles. 
So I'm not at all risk averse. I'm grateful that I have few qualms about going for it. I mean, the Nike ad, you know, just do it. It's just yeah. dear to my heart. You know, I, I, I love, love it. Yeah. I love that perspective though. Admittedly, I've also gone after a good many things and lost my shirt and my pants and ten thousands of dollars and uh, stressed my right. marriage and stressed my relationships. And I'm embarking on a new endeavor now that's very different as I go after it than it was even 15 years ago. But talk about us on that aspect, because I know you're not also casually telling people, hey, just throw caution to the wind and go for it, but hit on that issue for us. Right. Well, I think it's really important to plan and you want to surround yourself with people that are strong in areas that you're weak. So for example, if you're not a detail person and I'm not, I'm a dreamer. So I don't think through those details, I will surround myself with people that are detail people. So my husband is polar opposite personality styles and he is a cautious person. He's a rule follower. The whole opposites attract thing really does work. And he's willing to poke holes in my idea. And sometimes they're painful holes. I'll be honest. Sometimes it feels like he's raining on my parade. But here's the great benefit of having people like that in your life. They allow you to take your dreams and refine them. And they make them better. And they make you think things through that you hadn't thought about. And they help you. They prevent you from making some of those mistakes. So things that I didn't see coming because I just have rose-colored glasses all the time. Mm -hmm. My husband can bring me back to earth and bring me back to reality and say, well, what about this? Well, what about this? And if you're willing to take that feedback from people and not let it hurt your feelings or discourage you, but really take that for the strength that it is because they're strong in areas that you're weak, then I think you can go for it. You can Nike go for it, but you go for it smarter because you've allowed people to speak into it and they may see something coming down the pipe that you didn't see. So you're just putting a big emphasis on seeking wise counsel. Absolutely. And surrounding yourself in people where you're weak. So I'm really strong in marketing and I have some help in marketing, but I'm really weak on the business side of things. So taxes and business licenses, I have a whole team around me to Mm -hmm. speak into that, to help me because I can't advise these women on something I don't know anything about. And I'm not, I'm, I'm really big on people staying in their strengths and stay in your lane. And so rather than me trying to do lots and lots of research and becoming an expert in something that I'm not naturally gifted in. And to be honest, don't have an interest in like that stuff doesn't excite me. Then I would rather let someone that it does excite them. Like my friend, Shane Gibson of Skyward Accounting, he gets fired up about taxes. I don't understand that, but you know what? Let him stay in his lane. He can help me and backfill where I'm weak. And then I get to stay in my strengths and do what I'm good at. And he does as well. So yeah, if you just surround yourself with people in that are strong in areas that you're weak, then the overall quality of the business increases and you just have uh, make better decisions because you have those people around you. So I, I just read a, a, you know, actually I listened to a podcast on transparent or uh, being self-aware. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually entree leadership, uh, as a matter of fact. And it talked about how the greatest asset is to really know what your blind spot is, to know what you're good at, but also to know your blind spots. So, right. so I'd like a practical tip because I know that, you know, all of our listeners out there, uh, whether you're a man or a woman, you want to go start a business. You've got a partner. If you're married, you've got a partner who wants the best for you. Right. And you're an expert on personality styles and strength finders and disc and, you know, probably 50 others because we're in this business. This is what we do. Right. We eat this stuff for breakfast. So how do you give a, a, a woman or a man, how do you coach them to go get the right kind of feedback and input from their spouse? Because it can be, can be very uplifting and beneficial or there could be a roadblock there just in the way we ask for that feedback. So how do you go about that? 
Well, I think that's a fantastic question. And I work with a lot of people that they say they want feedback and they want honest feedback and they want valuable feedback, but, or they value feedback. But here's a really big problem. Uh, if you say that you value feedback, but you do not encourage feedback by how you respond to said feedback, you're not going to get it. So I'll give you a really practical example. Uh, my husband sometimes doesn't voice when he is upset with me, when I've done something that crossed a line or made him mad or hurt, a fe- hurt his feelings. He is more of an introvert and he really thinks things through before he brings them up to him. It's just not worth it to ruffle feathers. You know, for me, it's like, I just say whatever's on my mind. So we really work through that because I try to tell him again and again, Matt, if I've made you mad, if I've upset you, I want to know. I value that feedback. Now I can say that, but if there's an at, let's say I go home today and he brings something up and he's like, Hey, you know what? This morning you rushed out and seemed like you were pretty short with me. And I, I cleaned up everything last night for you. And you didn't seem to appreciate it. That really kind of hurt my feelings. Now, if I respond to that being like, well, you know, I've been on book tour and it's your fault anyway. And, and I defensively respond to that. You know what I've taught him? I can't handle that feedback. So never give me that feedback again, because to him, it's not worth it. Even if I say I value it, if I mistreat him, when he gives me that feedback, he's never going to do it again. So more importantly than asking for feedback or telling people you want feedback is then when they actually give it to you, even if it hurts, going, thank you so much for saying that. You know what? That's an area I'd really like to work on. I didn't even know that I was doing that. And because of you, I'm going to get to be a better person and I'm going to do better. And, uh, and so when you respond and sometimes it's hard, sometimes you have to like take a deep breath that hurt your feelings. Your natural response is kind of this fight or flight or be defensive, defend yourself and, and prove why you're right. Instead, if you take a deep breath and just thank people and go, you know what? I needed to hear that. Thank you for being honest with me. I really appreciate that. That goes further than asking for the feedback or telling people you want it. It really shows you can handle it. And then they're more willing to do that in the future and actually give it to you because you didn't terrify them with your response. Well, folks, there is some top shelf marriage counsel. That's just a yeah. show bonus. Okay. Uh, that is awesome. Thank you. Uh, well, it, it great. I had a great question because I know there are so many people that are going to hear that, but it is difficult to go out there and even know who to ask and how to ask. So thank you for that. Well, Hey, I'm curious about motive and drive and working with and speaking to so many people as you have regarding going after their dreams. I'm sure you've dealt with this on a dramatic level. And I love that you spent the first part of your book hitting motivation and your primary call out is why are you doing it? So tell us more about why you began the book with this focus. I mean, what did you see in people that made you start the book? Chapter one, finding your motivation. That's a great question. And you know, I think, I don't know, I can't prove this. I haven't like really researched it, but I think the business boutique business plan that I lay out in my book, business boutique is the only business plan I know of that says that starts with why, you know, they, they start with market demographics, you know, what your products and services are. I think mine may be the only one that starts with literally what, what is your why? And here's why I do that. Number one, many of the women I work with accidentally slide into business. They kind of become accidental entrepreneurs. It's not that they set out to have a business. So there's not a lot of forethought of thinking, okay, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it this way. And so because that, because they accidentally have businesses and it's like, oh, well, I'm just making these hair bows or I'm just helping people with their accounting. Oh, maybe I can make money at this. Oh, now I'm charging. Now it's a business. Because of that, they don't think through their why. And so I want them to go back and think through, why do you want this to be a business? Because when you think through that question and that answer, it helps you begin with the end in mind. And then that prevents you from making mistakes and crossing someone else's finish line. But why you do it also will always affect how you do it. 
So it, how, you know, what your motivation is will determine the policies you set and how you treat people and what you allow and how you run your business. But you've got to know why in order to do that. Understanding your why also can help you push past those challenges when business gets hard because business can be really, really hard. But when you know your why, when you know why you do it, man, it helps you push past those challenges and stick with it. Uh, I've just obviously just come back from being on book tour and seeing these women's faces and hearing their stories and watching their faces light up. And they're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change my family. I'm going to use my God-given gifts. That's my why. And so it doesn't matter how tired I am or how hard it is or how something went wrong with one of our um, events, because those women are my why. It helps me push past those challenges. And then finally, your why affects your marketing. So I love um, how Simon Sinek talks about this in his book, Start With Why. He says, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. So you need to know why you do it. If you want to craft the right marketing language to be able to reach the right people and build your business in marketing and advertising and sales, you need to know your why because that's really what we're selling. Well, I like the accidental entrepreneur quote. Reminds me of uh, Michael Gerber, who I cut my marketing teeth or my business teeth on his e-myth. Uh, a long, long time ago, I was actually working with Mike Hardwick at the time. You probably know uh-huh. Mike. And he oh, talked yeah. about the entrepreneurial seizure, but yeah, we go after this thing and we haven't thought it out. Well, speaking of those women that you've just been with so many of on the book tour, again, this is just right out of the intro. You share how you made the farm going back to the original story, the farm work by using the 11 stall barn for a side business of boarding horses and donkeys and mules and goats. And from that, you're yeah. also speaking to us all uh, of, and I know this is, you know, f- specifically focused on women, but it's relevant to everybody when about starting a side business and you make a specific focus on side business. And I'm curious as to why I think so many people have that perspective of, I've got something I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it. I got to start a right. business, this huge gargantuan thing. Is that why right. you did it that way? Just to kind of give a, a bite-sized opportunity. Right. Well, there's a couple of different reasons. For one, it's easier than ever before to start a side business. Whereas starting a big business, if you wanted funding or a brick and mortar store, have startup capital, those expenses, it's a lot more difficult to do that. But if you want to start a side business or a freelance business or a home-based business, it's easier than ever before to do that. We live in this side gig economy. You've got free social media tools and that kind of thing. But here's why I like starting on the side. Number one, it's lower risk. You're not having a lot of stuff that you're fronting. You're not, you know, jumping off the ship of your full-time job. You're starting on the side. You're going to prove this idea first before you make that move. And then it becomes something you build up on the side and it's the next logical step. It's not this terrifying leap where the business becomes a burden instead of a blessing. I want it to be a blessing where you get to love it every step of the way. And it's not something where you're desperate and scrambling with all this startup risk. So it's lower risk. It's certainly lower cost when you start on the side and it's lower intimidation factor. In fact, one of the things that I talk about in the book is fear, as you know, and many women don't start businesses because it feels like this terrifying leap, this dun dun dun. I'm starting a business. Instead, if you start on the side, it's like, oh, it's just this little thing on the side. It's so low risk, so low cost, and so low in intimidation. It's like, well, doesn't work. So what? I mean, you know what? Let's give it a shot. So when you have those three aspects of the low risk, low cost, and low intimidation, it helps people win. It helps people have the confidence to give it a try. And then one baby step at a time, they're building a business. And some of these women are rocking it. They're making six figures in their first year, and they have a legitimate business. But they didn't jump off a cliff to do it. They just baby stepped their way into it by starting on the side. Christy, I love that. I, I heard a uh, another speaker a few weeks ago, Sally Hogshead. I don't know. Love if you, her. Yep. And she has that quote: "Different is better than better." 
Yep. And so to me, that was like this, this breath of just, you know, it's like I can start the side business. I can start my dream and I don't have to be better than the people who were doing it. For right. So right. Speak into that a little bit about giving people that little bit of encouragement to be yourself, to take the unique gifts that you have and be right. different. And well, there's a great, that's a great question because one of the big struggles in business, uh, especially with women that I work with, if they want to do a craft business or they want to do an Etsy business or something that the market is quote unquote saturated, where they say, you know, I get this question mm-hmm. all the time. What do I do? If there's someone doing the thing that I want to do, what do I do if they're already doing it? They're doing it better. They have more Facebook likes. They have a bigger platform. Now, one of the times I got this question, Tom, was at my book signing. So on book tour, we had nine different signings where 100 to 200 women would come, bring buy a book or bring a book to get it to me sign. And then I would do a Q&A at the end. And every single book signing, I got that question. What do I do if someone's already doing the thing that I want to do? And so here was my response. Okay. So we're standing in a Barnes and Noble or Books a Million. We're standing in a bookstore and they're all standing there in this big group as we're answering questions. And I said, look around the room, look around this store. There are thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of books in this store, but you're holding my book. And you want to know why I believe that is? Because I believe there's a group of people that God has given me and entrusted me with to help only I can do what I can do with my unique story and style and experience. I believe there's a group of people that God has given me to help in a way that no one else can, but the same is true for you. I believe there's a group of people that only you can help. Only you have your unique style and voice and perspective and experience and talent and this combination of things that you bring to the marketplace and to the people that you help. So if someone, they'll say there's 5 million people already doing hair bows. No one does hair bows the way that you do. If there's 10,000 people already doing accounting services or graphic design or uh, fitness coaching, no one does it the way that you do fitness coaching. No one has your style and experience and story. And so I just remind people, if there's other people doing it, so what? That doesn't take away from what God wants to do through you. Uh, There's room for you too. There's room for you in the marketplace. Only you have that unique set of combination of factors that you bring to it. So I just encourage people to do it anyway. Even though there's people doing it, that doesn't take away from what you can do. Well, and yeah, and the flip side of that, sometimes when I hear somebody going, oh my gosh, I got this great idea and it doesn't exist out there anywhere, I'm, I'm a little scared because we're wondering mm-hmm. why doesn't it exist? Maybe there's a reason, but yeah, I love that perspective. You can do it in your own flavor. I'm curious when we talk about side business, when you have, again, speaking to women specifically, if you've got uh, 50 of them that have some uh, idea, valid idea, they embark on that and it becomes a legitimate side business. Is there, I don't know if I'm asking for a percentage, but just a, a propensity one way or the other uh, where some of them do, it works and boom, they're going to go full-time. That's the goal. Or some that create something that's good, it's consistent, they enjoy it and it just stays a side business. Right. It's, that's such a great, that's such a great question because I did research for years before we ever launched our first event about a year and a half ago. And here's what I found. Uh, every woman's version of success is different. Mm. And a lot of times their version of success that they're aiming towards is in correlation to how seriously they take the business. Now, here's what I mean by that. So some woman that's in the very early stages of the process where she's like, oh, I've just got this little hobby on the side. Sometimes I'll charge for it. Her version of success is to pay for Disney that summer. That's like a big, hairy, audacious goal Mm -hmm. is just to pay for Disney or soccer camp. But you talk to a woman that's a little bit further in the process and she's like, oh, I paid for Disney and I'm making more money than I expected to. And now I'm making more money 
than my husband is like, maybe this could be a brick and mortar store. Maybe I could hire team members. Maybe I could, you know, not only do this full time, but hire a team and build this out. But here's what's interesting. You can't talk to that woman in those early stages and go, Hey, you could be a millionaire. You could make millions. She's like, no, 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 no. Like her mindset's not there yet. She can't even set those goals because she doesn't take it seriously enough because she's not further along in the process. But as the business proves itself as she gains more wins and more money and more success. It fuels her confidence and then her confidence fuels bigger goals. So you can talk to those women in the middle of the process or later on in the process where they've been doing this a while and it's proven they're like, oh yeah, I mean, I think I can make seven figures one year. I think I can build this out to be a storefront or multiple locations. But the woman early on could never think that way. And some of them may stay that way. They may say, you know what? I want this to be a side business forever. And that's fine. But I will say the vast majority, what happens is as they get wins, they get confidence. And as they get confidence, their goals get bigger. But that's an evolution that happens not only in the business, but in their mindset and in their confidence. Well, and it's so much of what I love about your book. You make it so palatable, so feasible. And I appreciate that, especially as we get into your business plan, which we're going to here. But again, back to your audience here, you asked the question in the book, uh, or you, you talk a site asking it so often, how did you get the idea to start this particular business? Right. And you share that almost every single answer starts with, I had always loved dot, dot, dot. Uh, right. and I, I mean, I have a bigger question on that, but I'm also curious, do you find, I, I was literally interested in this. Do you find that women more than men are sometimes more prone to being in touch with those activities or experiences that really do connect to their hearts? Before Christy answers that question, I want to thank a great company, especially if you're going into business and a great campaign. So first off, LegalZoom. In order to successfully run your own business, attention to detail is very critical. And yet the word detail is seldom used by entrepreneurs and business owners who are running and gunning to grow and maintain their businesses. Do what you do best and leave the details of those who do them best, like LegalZoom. You know that one contract slip-up or legal misunderstanding can really set you back. Over a million Americans have used LegalZoom to start their businesses, but LegalZoom services go well beyond business information. They built a nationwide network of independent attorneys who can provide legal answers to the day-to-day questions you have about your business. Things like trademarks and employment laws and lease agreements can get really complicated, so don't waste your valuable time trying to wrap your head around all the fine print. Use LegalZoom for that so you can focus on growing your business instead. You'll get the legal help you need without being billed by the hour since LegalZoom is not a law firm. Go to LegalZoom.com today. Enter the code Ziggler in the referral box for special savings only at LegalZoom.com. Well, folks, this year marks the 10th anniversary of the Men's Warehouse National Suit Drive. This is really cool. Donate your gently used professional attire at any Men's Warehouse store from July 1st, 2017 through the 31st and give a man a chance to transform his life. If you don't have a suit to give, no biggie. They're collecting all kinds of professional items, including sports coats, slacks, dress shirts, sportswear, outerwear, dress shoes, ties, and other accessories as well. Then all of the donated items will be given directly to nonprofit organizations that distribute them throughout the community. The goal is to receive 275,000 donations. So be sure to spread the word by using the hashtag give a suit. Visit www.menswear, that's W-E-A-R, house.com dot com slash national 
dash suit dash drive for more information. Again, a little complicated. Listen close. That's men's, that's plural, M-E-N-S, men's wear, W-E-A-R, house.com slash national dash suit dash drive. Remember those dashes. Those who donate will receive a thank you coupon for 50% off of regular priced retail items or text NSD to this number 66960 to receive $10 off your purchase of $50 or more. The Men's Warehouse National Suit Drive. Give a suit and change a life. Yeah, I think it's interesting. That's a great question. So I think that women are naturally very intuitive. Like we're very intuitive. We're, we're very in, um, in touch with people and our feelings, our emotions, like those things are very connected. In fact, research shows within the first five minutes of talking to a woman, she'll tell you in some way how she feels. And within the first five minutes of talking to a man, he'll tell you in some way what he does. So it's the way that our brain is wired and the way that the language we use and how we perceive our world around us. So that certainly plays into uh, our vocation. But I also think for men, a lot of times it's this, there's a, a primal desire to provide and to make money and like, let's go out and kill it and drag it home. It's this kind of primal, like, let's make it work. It's not necessarily like, am I loving it, having a warm and fuzzy time along the way? It's like, am I just doing the thing? Whereas for women, I think a lot of times there's a little bit more of that in touch with, do we love this? Does this make our, our heart light up? Do we care deeply about it? But I will say as a generalization, both women and men are wired for meaning in our work and the human race is wired for meaning. And I've got some examples of the ditch digger story in the book where it just shows we care more about purpose than a paycheck. And so we need to know that what we're doing matters, men or women. But I do think that women can be more aware of their emotions around their work. And, uh, you know, this is a really sad statistic, but I read recently 70% of Americans do not like their job. Now, that's a really high percentage, and you spend a lot of time at work to not like what you're doing. So I think that's part of the cause of this side gig generation, this you economy where you're seeing 40 million Americans working as freelancers, independent workers, where both men and women are saying, you know what? I don't want to spend my life doing something I don't love. I don't want to spend my life collecting a paycheck, working a job, and give up my precious life doing that. I want to do something I care about. And so I think you're seeing both men and women stepping into that more and more because of that and because it's so easy to. Well, so let's talk on that topic uh, right there. You said 70% don't like that job, but more and more we want meetings, meaning. So in pursuing something you love, which uh, again, you're speaking my language. Well, come on. My dad wrote the book, 48 Days of the Work You Love. Yes. I, I can't imagine and just can't handle working at something, uh, devoting myself to something that I don't really believe in, that I would in essence right. do for free uh, if I didn't need the money. Right. I, I, that doesn't inspire me. Uh, it doesn't tarnish my innate skills, abilities, passions, and joys. Uh, though on that, the work at your passions, work at what you love, that has also gotten some hits in recent years. There's some big names who have come against that. And I understand from a marketing standpoint, you can get a lot of mileage out of a contrarian view. Because I think at the core, we're all speaking the same thing. But to that, to to one, to the audience of folks who go, oh my gosh, I would love to do something I would love. And to maybe some of the critics that they have heard on that, will you speak a little bit to just the validity and the value of working at something you care about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, you're going to see both sides of that because I think that in anything, uh, you can get kind of a bad name. And so you see these moments of people that are just irresponsible and they do it stupid. They have a Jerry Maguire moment. They grab the goldfish, say, show me the money. I'm out of here. And they completely, uh, you know, just completely put everything in their life at risk, their wife, their kids, their mortgage, all this stuff. And they just do it in a really stupid way. 
that's not what I recommend. And in fact, that's why I encourage starting on the side to prove your idea and start small. I want you to do what you love, but I don't want you jumping off a cliff where again, the, the business becomes a burden instead of a blessing. Let's do it smart. And then this whole movement of doing what you love can have a great reputation and a great name because you're not doing it irresponsibly where it's putting things at risk and doing it just in a way that's not going to be good for you, good for your family or good for the future. But I think because some people kind of have that Jerry Maguire moment and then it doesn't work out, they're like, oh, that was a bad mistake. But here's the reality. If you were going to, as a consumer, Kevin or Tom, if you were as a consumer going to interact with someone in any type of business, you would always rather interact with someone that loves what they're doing, right? Because it doesn't matter the business. It doesn't matter the industry. If you love what you're doing, your face lights up, you go above and beyond, you super sub, like people love interacting with people that love what they're doing. And it doesn't matter. You can be a janitor that loves what you're doing because that's who you are. So one of the things I encourage people is if you right now are in a season, where you are not doing work that you love. You're like, you know what? This pays the bills. I've got to keep the benefits. I've got to stay here until I figure out what I love and build something up on the side. Then instead choose to love where you are because I've been in seasons that I didn't love what I did, but I chose to love it because that's where I was and that's who I am. And so I'm, I have a great reputation and a, a brand as a person, even for past jobs that I didn't enjoy because I did the best job, not because the job deserved it or the job was so exciting and fun and deserving of it. It's because it's who I am. So if you're in a season right now where you're in, you know, a janitor role or you're in a role that, you know, just represents something you don't love to do, choose to love it and do a great job because that's who you are. But this could be preparing you for the next season. And believe it or not, I'm using skills today that I learned back in the early days of working in nonprofit, of managing teenagers, of working in a pool, of leading a farm and all these things that you think are irrelevant, but they're not. They're preparing you for something to come. So you can start to work on a, an off-ramp of that job you don't like, but that doesn't mean you have an excuse to have a bad attitude where you are. You can be a great person and choose to love where you are in the meantime, because that's who you are. I, I love that message. I feel like it is. That's your training ground uh, right there. A lot of folks will remember uh, Seth Godin, who we've interviewed on here, and he talks about that in regards to being a linchpin. I think that's the title of the book. Uh, so great there. Well, you, uh, in talking about these things that we love or these things that we have experience in, a core inspiration for you, a muse in essence, was your mom. And you spoke about it a minute ago. And as, as you wrote, she ended up without a husband and $64 to her name and a baby to raise. I assume that was you. That was uh, me. Okay. And she jumped on the one thing she knew from working as a 16 year old making and decorating cakes. Uh, so I, I love that perspective. It was one that my dad gave me as knowing a trade in essence. And it's something I passed on to uh, my own kids. I've got a daughter right now. She's in college pursuing something she's really passionate about, but she went to massage school. So when she's, well, like the summer, she gets a massage job or a spa job and she can make right. up to 60 bucks an hour. I, I love that. There's a lot of people that are hearing this right now that are inspired by it, but are probably getting a little anxiety of, oh my gosh, what do I know how to do. And some of them legitimately, and I know you've run across this, that's why I'm going to put the question to you, uh, who, who really are struggling with, do I know something that is transferable? Right. Is there something that I can pursue it? And maybe if there's really not, what can I do to find something? That's a great question. So I would just encourage people to start with what you have. So what I mean by that is you can start with what you have in terms of skills 
or your story or your experience or strengths that you have. You're really gifted in organizing. You're really talented in math and numbers. Mm-hmm. You're really gifted in art and design or interior decorating, or you're, you're gifted in putting cute outfits together and you could be a stylist consultant. You know, so many people think, oh, I have to go to school and have years of education to give me permission to do the thing. If you're good at something, you can do a little research and you can invest in yourself a little bit and hone those strengths that you, you have a great baseline of strengths, but you're going to make them even better. So start with what you have in terms of skills or strengths or story or experience, or you can start with what you have physically. So maybe you have a sewing machine or you have a swimming pool and you're like, you know what? I could teach some lessons. I can sew handbags. Like when you start with what you have, what's so great is it may give you your, uh, your next business idea, but it also, again, keeps your risk low, your cost low. You're starting with, with skills and things that you already have. So you're able to baby step your way in very low risk and very low cost, but that's kind of where I encourage people to start. Start with what you have, and then it's going to make entry into the marketplace that much quicker and that much easier when you start kind of brainstorming ideas around what you have to work with already. Okay. Well, I'm going to reiterate that for people because I don't want you to miss it. She's saying if you don't have experience in a specific, uh, a specific thing, a specific endeavor that you've done, find an application of your skills and strengths, which goes back to, we talked about this and, and uh, Tom pulled it out as well, is, is knowing yourself, knowing thyself, being self-aware, right. which uh, you, you mentioned strengths finder. Is that a specific uh, favored tool for that? That's, that's one of them. And I, I definitely have um, some other resources to help you identify your strengths. But another thing you can pay attention to um, in terms of coming up with your business ideas, what do people always ask you? So when, is there something that people always come to you for? Like a lot of the women that I've interviewed with different businesses, they say, well, I created a minimalist lifestyle and I decluttered my home and it changed my life because I freed up so much time because I didn't have all this junk taking away my time, cleaning, organizing, shifting, all that kind of stuff. And then people, I started a blog about it and people started asking me, how do you do this? She now has a blog and a business helping people create minimalist lifestyles. But that came about because she paid attention to what is the common thing that people kept asking her about. So what do people come to you for that may give you another idea? But when it comes to knowing your strengths, and I put this in the book, but I'll give it to you for your listeners really kind of high level and quick. There are, if you don't want to take a strengths finder test or DISC or Myers-Briggs or any of those, there are five questions you can ask yourself that give you insight into your strengths. What do you enjoy? What comes effortless for you? In what areas do you excel? What do others encourage in you? And what gives you energy? When you start to answer those five E questions, it's a great indication of what your strengths are because all of those help point you to your natural gifting. You know, I, 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 uh, I can, I can just hear all the podcasts stopping and going back like 30 seconds on those five. I'll be glad to unpack them. You want me to do it yeah. again? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and say it one more time. Cause those are good. And then yeah. I have a follow-up question for you on that. Sure. So the first question is what do you enjoy? Typically those things we enjoy to do are also our strengths. I don't know about you, but I don't like doing things that highlight areas that I'm not good. So if you enjoy it, you're probably pretty good at it. Um, the second one is what comes effortless for you. So what's just easy for you? Uh, I will tell you, this is an area that's very easy to undervalue because you assume if it's easy for you, it's easy for everyone else. And it's not often what's easy for you can be a great gift and benefit to other people. And it's something you can charge for. It's something they're willing to pay for. Maybe you're really talented at details. You could be a virtual assistant. Someone like me that's not good at details would pay for that service because that's a gift that you have that I don't have. So what comes effortless for you? Uh, and what areas do you excel? Now, don't get all squirmy here. Some people are like, oh, I'm just, 
I'm just so humble. I'm not good at anything. No, 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 no. You are good at something and you're not doing anyone any favors by dismissing or downplaying your strengths. So if you know what you're good at, it doesn't mean you're arrogant. It means that you're aware. So where do you excel in relation to other people? Where do you perform above average in relation to other people? A fourth question is what do others encourage in you? So pay attention to people's feedback. Are they always saying, hey, you're so good at that. Oh, you're awesome at that. You should write a book. You should start a business. You should help people with that. So when you pay attention to your feedback from other people, they may see something you don't see. And the gift of understanding your strengths comes through their compliments. And then the last one is what gives you energy? When we work in our strengths, it actually gives you energy versus sucking you dry of energy. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not tired and it doesn't take work, but it's that good kind of tired, the kind of tired where you can't wait to wake up and do it all again. So those things that give you energy are often your strengths as well. Perfect. So here's a question. I've, you know, I read all the time and get get influenced by so many people, whether it's Rabbi Lappin, Dave Ramsey, Seth, I mean, just all the time. And there's two words that have kind of been like umbrella words for me, and that is specialization and connection. Okay. Okay. So the path to prosperity, the more specialized you can be in an area, the more you're in your strength, the more you are different than everybody else, and the more connections that you have, right? Whether it's customer-based or people who can bring you customers, people of influence who are in that same area, who can give you platform. So how do you, let's say I'm starting off brand new and I'm, you know what, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to start my little boutique. I'm going to go with, so how do I go through the stages? What can I look for as far as feedback to say, Hey, I need to do more of this and less of that, that specialization. And how do I find others to connect with who are on parallel journeys who can help me and I might be able to help them? Sure. That's a great question. So the, the first question that I always have everyone ask themselves when they want to start a business And this one question, the answer to this will give you so many other pieces of information that you need about your business. It will make it a lot easier. You need to ask yourself this, what problem are you solving in your business? Because in business, we don't go into business to make money. We don't go into business for ourselves. We don't go into business for any self-serving reason. While we go into business is to help people. Now, as a result, we gain a lot of benefits. We have freedom, flexibility. We do make money. In many cases, we make a lot of money. But you don't go into it for that reason. And people feel that. They feel the difference if you go into it for yourself versus going in to serve. If you go in to serve, to help people, then you want to improve their lives in some way. There's something bad about their lives that you're going to lessen, or there's something good about their lives that you're going to enhance. You're going to some way solve a problem for them or make their lives better in some way. When you know what problem you're solving, what way that you're benefiting your customers, not only does that give you the very thing that you're going to charge for, that's how you're going to make money. That is your, in your, in your words, specialization, but it helps you understand who your market is because then you ask yourself, well, who has that problem? Who has the problem that I'm solving through my business? Well, that's my target market. That's who I'm going to go after. That's the group of people that are willing to pay for what I'm doing in my business. So it gives you some clarity around your specialization. So I'll give you an example of the business boutique. There are a bazillion business books out there, but What my unique story and style and strengths and experience brings to the market is I'm a mom of two kids under the age of two and a half. So life is crazy. I understand the struggle of being a mom and and wanting to pursue my passions. I also was raised by a woman that did this. 
I'm a certified business coach. I'm a gifted teacher and speaker. And I start to see how all these different pieces intersect. And by the way, I'm solving a problem that exists out there where women are very talented and have the ability to start businesses, but they're overwhelmed by business. And they're not going to go to the bookstore and buy a business book written by a man for men. They feel like that doesn't, they don't understand them. And so I'm serving a very unique specialization, as you're saying. It's a very unique uh, market that I'm going after of there's a problem where women can and want to start businesses, but they don't know how. And that's the problem I'm solving with my experience and story. And so it helps you understand what your specialization is when you understand the problem that you're solving. It answers a lot of questions for you. But then when it comes to connections, and I love how you brought that up, you can start to think of not only who is strong in areas that you're weak, but who can you align yourself with? So when we create a business boutique event, I, we look for the best speakers in different specialties. So the best speaker in social media, the best speaker in sales, the best speaker in these different aspects that we can bring in alongside me, that doesn't threaten me in any way. It only lifts me and I lift them as we can lock arms and say, you know what? We are all in this together to help you. Um, I just, I have a very unique perspective on competition. So many people come from that, um, viewpoint of this scarcity mindset. Like there's only so many room, uh, so many spots at the top, but the truth is it's not a fixed pie mentality. When we all help people, the pie, the economy expands. And I don't know about you, but I've never run into people that are like, Oh, I'm just too helped. I'm just too inspired. I'm too encouraged. It's like, no, there's always room for more. There's room for more encouragement and more inspiration and more help. And so I really love what you said about connections because you can find people that you can align yourself with to help you. You can also find people that are strong in areas that you're weak. And with social media, it's easier than ever to access those people and to reach out to people that are in industries that you believe can help you solve the problem you're trying to solve. Well, Christy, uh, motivation is what you began with. And then I think literally chapter two, you talk about fear, which as we know is gigantic. And you shared with us prior to the interview, this statement, I want to read it for folks. You said the number one reason that people don't use their gifts, chase their dreams or pursue their passion is fear. I'd like to give listeners encouragement and inspiration to push past their fear, as well as practical tips to combat their fear on a daily basis so that they can create a business and a life that they love. So again, after motive, this is your next priority fear. And and again, I so appreciate your book because it focuses first on all the things that tend to derail our valid ideas and opportunities. And you start by stating that fear is normal and in essence, get it out on the table, expect it. You even say, and one of the first versions of fear people encounter when doing anything countercultural, like starting a business is in your quotes, who am I to do this? So how strong is this in the aspect of self image and even peer pressure or, or peer comparison, I guess it would be. Sure. You know, it really is a huge issue. And I've had so many women send me comments, even since the book has been out a few weeks saying chapter two, chapter two was it for me. Like it so spoke to me. It really helped me. And it's because if we give you all the tools and answers and resources that you need, but you're still scared, you're going to stay stuck. doesn't matter if you have all the tools and answers. If you're scared, you're going to stay stuck and you're not going to put those into practice. And so I really wanted to address that head on two main things about fear. Uh, I wanted women to understand that fear is normal. Because I used to think that fear was a bad sign, that if I was supposed to do something, I wouldn't be scared. I would be confident and it would be easy. And that's just not true. Fear is a normal part of the journey. It's not a bad sign. It's not a sign you're doing something bad. It's a sign you're doing something bold. And when you realize it's a normal part of the journey, then 
you don't have to wait until you're not scared to do it. You do it right now. You do it while you're scared. You walk on the stage while you're scared. You post the blog while you're scared. You ship that product, even though you're scared. You're not waiting until that fear leaves because it may never leave. It's a normal friend with you along the journey at every stage. And I love how Joyce Meyer says, new levels, new devils. Every time you do something new, you're going to be a little scared because you've never done it before. It's the unknown. And so that's just a normal part of the journey. But I love what you said with the line, who are you to do this? Now, the voice of that is the imposter syndrome. And this goes back to, again, fear is normal. The imposter syndrome is so common. Researchers believe up to 70% of people have suffered from it. Women much more often than men. It was a term coined in the 70s by researchers. And it's this nagging belief that you don't deserve to be there. You don't deserve your achievements. You don't deserve a spot at the table. Um, you feel like you're a fraud. And it's that same voice that says, who are you to do this? And it really can be so um, dis- debilitating that people stay stuck. They believe that voice and say, you're right. I, I don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve to do this. And they don't try. But when we realize that, again, it's normal. Even really successful people suffer from the imposter syndrome. And I, I, ironically, I love this, this fact about it. The imposter syndrome is a trait of the high achiever. So people sitting on their couch all day watching reality TV, eating Cheetos are not really worried if they're good enough. It's the people on the front lines, the movers, the shakers, the difference makers. They're the ones going, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. They are the high achievers and they're questioning if they have the right to make those high achievements. But the truth is, it's just a normal part of the journey. And I use the examples of Maya Angelou and Kate Winslet Academy or award-winning actress and writer. And you're going, even they would talk about, oh, I'm a fraud. I'm going to be found out. And so, you know, in my experience, I'll tell you, Kevin, I used to think I could just outperform the fear or if I could just get good enough or if I could get perfect enough or if I could get enough people to like me, then I wouldn't be scared. And the truth is you never outgrow it. You never outgrow fear. You'll get more confidence and you'll get more experience and you'll get more mature and realize, oh, there's that voice. And now I just dismiss it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it anyway, even though that voice is there. Uh, So it does get easier, but it doesn't mean the voice doesn't stop trying. It's with you. That that nagging voice of fear and imposter syndrome is with you at every stage. You just learn how to deal with it and you do it anyway. You do it scared. Hey, thank you for pulling that out. And I, gosh, I have to admit it's been within the past year, maybe a year and a half ago, a really close business partner, best friend of mine who Tom knows of, uh, we dealt with this. We kind of, we walked through life very intimately together from a spiritual standpoint and doing life together. And we both, uh, struggle with that. It was coming to grips with at the core of myself. There's always a little bit of fear that I'll be found out. You know what? Actually, this is funny. I got to tell you this. So we're talking about this as a focal point. That's about six months ago. We had a problem in the code in our podcast and it hit lips and all of a sudden, uh, we had no downloads. We went from, you know, 30,000, 50,000, you know, per episode. And all of a sudden we've got two weeks and nobody's downloading the show. I thought, there you go. I've been found out. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the they fun. realized you're not supposed to be there. <laughs> they Kevin they realized. How did he get here? Who yeah, gave him a mic? I, I know. I know. <laughs> but I love that. Has it gone away? Not, I don't know that it has, but we just do it. Anyway, just as you said with fear, do it anyway. And I, I want to. I still have that. I still have that thought. Business boutique hit the charts. I've got a thousand or hundred uh, five star reviews on Amazon. And I still have that voice like, you know, you're not really a business coach, right? Like someone's going to find out and tell people you you really can't do this. 
And it's like, and that voice is still there and it's ludicrous. Even when you have proof, even when the thing is proven, you're helping people. You have the podcast, you have the downloads, you have people that are writing and saying, you know what, this helps me so much. You have the proof and that voice still keeps going. And so it's just good to remember that it's just normal because then you can just keep going versus feeling like at some point it's going to go away. Because in my experience, it hasn't yet. So you're not like me and the 100 five-star reviews are waylaid by that one one the star one. review. Yeah. The one. I, know. I know. You know what my one one star review said? It said you can get all the same information in her podcast. I was like, great, tune in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's we all deal with that. I mean, Seth Godin is notorious. He will not read reviews. Mm. Right? The, the doesn't the the reviews, whether they're good or bad, they don't really add to what you're doing. Nope. nope. Right. And so if, you, if you're doing what you know you're supposed to be doing, yeah, it's like if people don't get it, if some people don't get it, that's a good thing because it means back to your point, Tom, it means you're specialized. So I had a, a man actually comment on uh, something that was sent to me. I don't know what it was from. And I was like, I bought this for my wife and she loves it. I personally think it's all fluff and a total waste of time. And I was like, if you're making the wrong people mad, you're doing the right thing because you're making the right people happy. And you've got to have focus and specialization. So if there are men that read it and don't get it, fantastic. I'm reaching my market market perfectly. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah, you know, the thing I always catch myself thinking is when I do do coaching and I give advice, the thing in my head is, I need to take that advice. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's great accountability. It's really good accountability. I teach about, uh, I speak on life balance a lot and I teach people about their interaction with technology and phones. It's a great accountability system for me to put my phone down more. (laughs) Oh, hey, listening to these podcasts with my wife, which we do once in a while. And here I am interviewing and we're resonating on this and I'm sitting there going, she knows I struggle here, but okay. So fear, I, I do want to ask a piece on that. It's something that just occurred to me. So that question that you brought out or, or that aspect of fear of who am I to do this? So being a guy, if I look historically, I've probably worked with far more men than I have women. And a lot of times the fear is specifically money motivated. They're, uh, of course, a majority of them are the, the primary provider for their family. And so to go after something different, money is at the forefront with a lot more of, of the women not being the initial or the, the primary breadwinner, um, here is this, is that question at the top of the list? Who am I to do this? You know, I, I don't know. I think for when you're putting yourself out there in business as an entrepreneur, there's going to be fear mm-hmm. because entrepreneurs are risk takers. You've got to, if you're doing something new, then there's risk involved and men or women, you're going to have some fear associated with it. Men or women, you're probably going to get a little rattled by the negative customer, the critic online, the, the mm-hmm. one-star review, the people mm-hmm. that, that rip you apart or the, the terrible, uh, you know, maybe someone writes an article about you or your business or that type of thing on Yelp or something like that. Like, if, you, if that doesn't get to you a little bit, then I wonder how much you even care about the customers mm-hmm. you're serving because we're human. We're entrepreneurs, but we're human and we are putting our heart and soul into this. So of course it hurts a little bit, but I think you're going to see men and women experience that. I do think that if you feel this pressure, if you're the primary breadwinner or the primary provider, especially financially for your family, then that's something that's an added level of pressure where you are uh, kind of like my mom was when she was raising me as a single mom, you're in survival mode. If this is your only method of income, then it's no longer a cute little hobby. You can toy around and, and afford to screw up. You're in survival mode. You've got to right. find a way to make it work. You know, a great example is a uh, Cordia Harrington. She is the Tennessee bun company um, lady. She, they call her the bun lady. But she produces, uh, her company, the Tennessee Bun Company, has clients like McDonald's and KFC. They produce more uh, high-speed high baked goods than any other manufacturer in the United States. And at such a high speed. 
And she started as a single mom of three kids and she wanted to see her kids more. And she talks about this. She said, no, wasn't an option. They could, McDonald's turned her down 31 times and told her no, and she didn't accept it. Like she kept on. So if you're to your point, if you're a man and you're the primary provider, you probably have a little bit more of that grit and that drive of like, you have to make it work. It's not optional of whether or not you're going to pay for soccer camp. Like you have to make it work because so much depends on it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think having that drive is what's going to force you to make tweaks and changes to find a way to make it work. If, if the market's not responding to this, you adjust just who moved your cheese. You know, you're going to try to change things to make this thing fly because so much depends on it because so much matters. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that can be a really good thing that pushes you. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because there was a time, Christy, when I looked back and thought, you know, I'm trying to make my dent in the world and business and something that I'm doing. And meanwhile, we keep having children and we have a few hundred of them at this point. And I thought, <laughs> you know, here I've got these peers over here who are doing this and a lot of them, you know, no kids, no nothing. And I, and I used that as a bit of a, I was a little bit irritated. And I thought, you know what? Truth is though, as I thought about it, and I think you just spoke to it in a sense, the stakes are higher for me. And I don't know if I was those guys, if I would actually come through with it. I'm a deadline driven guy. I got too many, too many ideas, too many interests, and it's the deadlines and the stakes being high that caused me to do it. And I feel like that's what you're saying sometimes, you know, that that can, I don't know if you're saying it's better, but it it can, it can provide a, uh, well, it's motivation. It's an an extra level of motivation to light a fire under you to make it work. And the truth is, I don't think it's bad to have an extra layer of accountability. So when I was single, I had less money than I do now. And I spent way more money Mm. because I didn't have any accountability. Now, if I come home with 15 bags from TJ Maxx, my husband gives me that look of like, what have you been up to over there at TJ Maxx again? You know, it's like, whether it's with money or life or business, like having a layer of accountability uh, can help you, especially if you're a dreamer, if you're like me and you're an idea person and you have a hundred new business ideas a day, it's kind of good to have someone that brings you back to earth and says like, let's think this through. Is this really going to work? So you're not wasting a ton of money, wasting a ton of time and not making any progress because there's no real motivation to do it. It's kind of like the teenager that the parents try to put them on a budget and say, we're going to put you on a budget, but the teenager just gets money whenever they want to. Like what motivation do they have to live within that budget? They just have unlimited income. Mama needed 20, mama needed 20. When you have that extra layer of accountability, uh, it really can light a fire under you to be responsible and make the thing fly. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it can really give you focus. Well, I'm going to ask you on this uh, kind of a, well, I saw it as another piece of this or somewhat aligned with it on the uh, why am I doing this is a segment where you say to answer the question you call us to, who am I fighting for? Will you unpack that one for mm. us? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, this goes back to kind of the critics. And I had an experience several years ago. I was speaking at my first entree leadership event, which is primarily male. And I had spoken for years, but never to an all-male audience, a business audience. And entree leadership as a brand had never had a woman speaker. So it was a great honor for me. But I was also younger and uh, early on in my speaking career. So after this event, I got the reviews back. And again, you just zone in on those couple people that gave you terrible reviews, the one stars, the she's terrible. She shouldn't be on stage. You know, she talked too fast, which I do. I admittedly talk too fast. Um, And so you just kind of focus on that. And then I felt God give me a question in response to that, because it's very easy to look at those two or three bad reviews and think, Oh, I shouldn't do this. They're right. 
Like I have this voice of fear in my head of the imposter syndrome saying, who are you to do this? And now I have real people, real people saying, who are you to do this? So I've got proof I shouldn't do it. And the truth is, I thought God remind me, you're not fighting for them. You're not fighting for those that didn't get it. You're fighting for the hundreds in that room that walked out the door and made changes in their life about technology, about putting their phone down, about going to kids' soccer games, moving their office out of their bedroom that are going to have a more sense of life balance and have more quality time with their family as a result of that one-hour talk. That's who you're fighting for. Now, when I refocus on who I'm fighting for instead of the ones that don't get it, then it moves me to walk back on the stage and subject myself to more negative reviews and more negative criticism from the tiny percentage of people that don't get it because I have to. I have to help those that do. And so I'm willing to put myself out there and get some of the negative reviews in order to help the people that I want to help because those people need me. And so if you shift your focus on who you're fighting for, those that need you and those that get it, then it allows you to take some bumps and bruises and some hits in the meantime, because you know, those people need you. They're depending on you. All right. Well, one more thing on fear. You had a section where you said, just do it once, commit to it, do it once. And at the end of the chapter, you go on to say, or actually in kind of a workbook scenario where you have those questions at the end, what is something you want to do that you've been avoiding because you're scared? Write out the date uh, that you commit to do it just once. And it felt to me like you were opening the door to extend beyond just the business focus or the business endeavor, but advising us to do this as an exercise in whatever way, just to deal with your fear somewhat like you. And I think I saw this in your Facebook page, diving in a shark tank uh, yeah. idea. I thought, well, that's just that that's more of just a fear overall. Is that, am I, am I reading you right on that? That that's an exercise. Yeah, it, it can apply to any area of your life, but the truth is in my life, in my experience, fear is the loudest when you've never done it. So fear will torment you with all these terrifying possibilities. What's going to happen if you do it? And so that's why I encourage you to just do it once. Don't commit to completely turning your life upside down and you're going to commit to 10 years of this or a year of this. And you're going to, that gets way too intimidating. I go back to baby steps. Everything is baby step. Just take the first step, do the thing one time. Say, I'm just going to get through this one thing, this one time. But here's what's so great. When you get through it one time, then fear can't torment you with the terrifying possibilities of what's going to happen because you did it and you survived and then you can do it again and so on. And so leading up to our first business boutique event, I had voices in my head that said, no one's going to come and they're all going to leave so disappointed. Mm -hmm. I don't know how both are possible. No one is coming yet. They're all going to leave disappointed, but that's what fear does. It hits you coming and going. And so my thought was, I'm not going to launch 15 business boutique events. I'm not going to commit to doing this for the rest of my life. I'm just going to survive this one event. And you know what? I didn't just survive it. It was a freaking rock star moment for everyone. Like the, the women in the room, it was an incredible event. Lives are changed. You saw God show up. The speakers were incredible. And so then after that, when it came to planning the second one, I was cool as a cucumber. I was like, oh, we're going to rock it. We've done it once. We can do it again. But sometimes you just have to do it once to get yourself past that fear of all these terrifying possibilities and prove to yourself you can survive it. And then it gives you the confidence to do it again. So motivation, then fear. And then you get into making a plan and, uh, you know, something in working again with, with so many people myself, I found that uh, would be entrepreneurs don't have a plan at all, or they come over here and that's all they do is plan kind of the analysis paralysis and few really mm -hmm. do it 
Well, and I think, and you mentioned something to this effect earlier on, when we think of a business plan, I think most people have that perspective that they've got to become a business expert and know the language and the lingo and strategies and ultimately try to do something they have no experience in or knowledge of. However, on page 37 of your book, you start listing out four tiers of a business plan over five brief pages as an initial snapshot before you get into it more later in the book. And Chrissy, I think it may be the most simple and user-friendly business plan uh, ideal I've I've ever seen. Well, it just, it it had so much to do with valuable awareness than business acumen. I thought anybody can fill this out. And I mean, again, I know it's a primer for going deeper into it as we get into uh, the book. But well, first off, folks, you're listening right now. Just pause. Feel free to pause right now. Go buy the book. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the best thing we can offer you. Right now. Go buy the book because getting right there, if you do nothing else but start at page 37 and you're going to see, oh my gosh, I can do this. I can create a plan. It was incredibly palatable. So I just wanted to ask you where you came to that perspective on a business plan because I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, honestly, it was leading up to our first event uh, in November of 2015, and we were going to uh, create content for basically two days worth of teaching. And I did research for several years, Kevin, where um, I really identified five main pain points that women need in order to win a business based on my research. They need help with uh, money management. They don't know how to make money or keep it or not feel bad about it. They got a lot of emotions around money. So money time management and life balance was the number one thing that they struggled with. Marketing and sales. How do they sell without being pushy? The legal side of things like business licenses and tax questions. But then the fifth one was just a plan. They said, I'm willing to do the work. I just don't know where to start. I just don't know what to do. Show me the steps and I'll do it. And so for me, I have a background in business and advertising. I have started businesses myself. So I have a natural marketing mind. Plus I've worked on Dave Ramsey's team for almost a decade. So I'm a, I've been a coach through Entree Leadership. I know and love business. And so I kind of combined all of those different experiences and perspectives and put together what I believe are the most important bases you need to cover to think through to build a business. I kind of took myself out of my shoes of um, the role that I play here. And I thought if I was going to start a business, if I was going to start a business tomorrow, what are the things I would need to think through? And so I take all that perspective and that's how I laid it out. But then I had like 24 bases to cover. I was like, okay, well, let's put like things together. Okay, all these things are kind of future focused. All these things are kind of resource focused. All these things are marketing and advertising focused and all these things are operations focused. So then I started to look at these buckets that I'd created of steps. And I, I don't know, I guess that God gave it to me, but I just thought, wouldn't it be fun to create it like a, like a wedding cake? Like weddings are kind of the backdrop to my whole story, wedding cakes in the bakery. And that's how wedding cakes are built. They're built with a large foundation. And the second tier supports all the tiers above that. And the third tier supports the topper and so on. And I thought that's a really good visual to help people remember, okay, instead of 24 things I've got to do, you're just going to build a cake. And a cake is four tiers. And here's how these build on each other and support each other for a reason. And it's designed that way. So the foundation of your business plan, the foundation of a wedding cake, in this case, the foundation of your business plan are all of those things that are future focused. It's your why, your dream, your vision, your mission statement, your goals. Those things support all the future decisions. And then it's around your resources where you make your business yours in tier two. And then tier three is where you get tactical and operational. And then tier four, the topper, is a result of all the work that you've done. That's the marketing. That's where you put yourself out there. But you can't just run out and put it on a Facebook page without thinking through some of these other steps. Many people do 
but that's the reason their business is confused, their marketing is confused, their market and their target market's confused, and they have to go back and refine some of these steps because they may have missed them along the way. So regardless of where you are in business, if you're just getting started, this will help you get started on the right foot. But if you've been in business, this will help you go back and reset and refocus your goals to make sure you're moving in the direction of your finish line, not someone else's. Well, and I've diluted a lot of my efforts over the years by not planning because I don't like it and it's often tedious, but again, I just right. loved how you put it together. So, and, and a lot, you, you really dig in, of course, to each of those points and folks, I'm not going to give them to you. Maybe we should do another show because we could do a whole show just on the business yeah. plan, but for now, just go get the book again. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a masterful job, but I wanted to give attention to something that I think is a big deal. Chapter five, you titled Permission to Dream, and you right away give us a subheadline that says, it hurts to dream. You caught me right there. It hurts to dream. And I feel like you called out the enemy here in such a big way, but uh, dealing with it will unchain so many people. Uh, It's something that my wife has struggled with in the past as we've gone after big things. She's recovered, I'm grateful to say, but it's a very real issue. It hurts to dream. I just wanted to ask you to unpack that one as well for us. Sure. Well, dreaming feels vulnerable. You know, when you're dreaming, when you, when you're owning your desires about the future and you're thinking about where you want to be, it not, it feels vulnerable and it feels risky because you're saying, I want this and I don't have it. That is, there's an element of trust. There's an element of, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if God has this plan for me. And so it feels kind of scary to say it out loud. And you also feel very silly. You, you start to think about what other people are going to think of you. Well, if I say, I want to start a business. What are people going to think of me? You know, they're going to think, who are you? What, you know, who do you think you are to start this business? Or if I say, you know, I'd love to be able to fill in the blank and this is my dream for the future, then it's going to be something where you start to have all these fears kind of creep up and you don't want to dream. It makes you hold back and it makes you play it safe. But I believe that your dreams are not bad things. I think they're God things. And if you look even at scripture and examples, Jesus asked again and again, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He loves to draw out those desires of our heart so that we can own them and acknowledge them. And in my opinion, trust him with them. And then when we own them, we say, you know what, this is what I want and this is what I don't have. Then you're asking God to show up in your life and help you make those dreams reality. But so often we think of dreams as selfish, but I think we have to understand your dreams are actually, those heart's desires are things God gave you. Like that's not an accident. It's not something like, oh, it's over here, you being selfish. Most dreams are things that God have have given you and he gave them to you because he wants to provide them for you. But you've got to own them first and you've got to trust him with them. Okay. True admission here. Every once in a while on that specific day, when I feel like it's needed, I'll send over to my partner, uh, the little clip from the blues brothers. We're on a mission from God and it's funny, but it brings us back to what we really believe because we are called to serve people. So I, I love that. I love that focus. Thank you. Um, well I do, you know, everything that we've discussed here is relevant for anyone going after a business even though the book is specifically geared towards women. So I do have a few questions right there. And as you're so keen on getting the issues out on the table, let's start off by discussing what you see. Just hit the high points as specific obstacles unique to women that they should be aware of. Sure. Well, we first have to understand how we're wired as women. So naturally, as women, we're wired more relationally. So I'll give you a great example. In the book, the business principles apply regardless. So if you're a man or a woman listening, the business principles will help you build a business. But one of the things we have to keep in mind is we women are wired much more relationally. So for example, I don't talk at all in the book about how to have great customer service. Now, customer service is very, very important to business. But 
women are very intuitively natural nurturers and caretakers. So you don't have to tell a woman how to take care of people. We do that naturally. But the other side of being relational, for example, when it comes to selling, we feel awkward. We don't want to be pushy and annoying and aggressive and get on people's nerves. So a lot of times we hold ourselves back. We don't price our products what they're worth. We don't price our services what they're worth. We don't like to talk about our products and services because we feel awkward and uncomfortable. So I think it just comes to understanding how we're wired as women, relational being one aspect of that, that if we can understand that we can turn our challenges into opportunities and overcome those challenges like selling, but also really leverage our strengths like customer service. Oh, and that was my next question was, okay, we're talking about the specific obstacles that may be uh, for women. Hey, that, Kevin. Yes. Hey, we only... So my next question was, what are also the unique opportunities that women have? And I'm sure you could list out a lot. You just said one that in regards to relationships and customer service, those are going to come easier. I assume there are some others that are going to come easy as well. So I like that taking the, it looks like a challenge and maybe turn that to your advantage. But I want to wrap up just with any call outs that you have to women in specific periods of life and maybe what they should, again, get on the table to know there's some women that are in a dual, uh, they may be the primary breadwinner. They may be in a dual income household sharing equally the home and, and finances and responsibilities with kids. Others that are, have been out of the workforce for a long time. That's where my wife recently was as well. And then of course, single mothers too. And I know you speak to this in your book, maybe even just give some call outs to uh, the resources in the book for those women. Sure. Well, I just think regardless of your stage of life or your season of life, I just want women to know that you can do this. Pursuing your passions isn't selfish. It's smart. And as a result, I believe it makes you a better wife or a better mom or a better leader. It makes you a better person as a whole. And, you know, as women, I was just talking about this yesterday on stage to a group of people I was speaking to. As women, it's so easy to just become what we think people need us to be. So we have these gifts and talents that we've been created with, these things that make us light up and come alive, things we're really good at and we really enjoy. But throughout time, as life gets busy and we have more roles and more responsibilities and shoes to fill and hats to wear and that kind of thing, we stop offering who we are. And we instead just become what we think people need us to be. We become a warm meal on the table or a ride to soccer or tasks completed at our job. And what's so unfortunate is we lose part of ourselves in that process. We just become transactional. We just go about the business of life and the business of marriage. But I encourage women again and again, instead of asking yourself, what does everyone need from you? Ask yourself this, what makes you come alive? And go do that. Because I promise you what your husband needs from you more than a warm meal and what your kids need from you more than a ride to soccer and what your boss needs from you more than tasks completed is a woman in their lives that has come alive. And when you step into your God-given gifts and you find a way to engage what you were created to do and incorporate that into your life, it doesn't make you a bad mom. It makes you a better mom. It doesn't make you a bad wife or leader. It makes you a better wife or leader. And you're not harming your kids by working hard and pursuing your passions. You're actually helping them. And I tell people again and again, I'm a product of a single mother and growing up with us was a struggle. We had really hard times, but I didn't make it despite the struggle. I made it because of the struggle and you're doing a great job. You have permission to use your God-given gifts and create a life that you love. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Christy, for blessing us with uh, this book, your overall message and your heart. I'm ecstatic to give it to our Ziegler listeners. Kevin, Tom, you guys are outstanding. I love being with you guys. Thank you so much. Go change the world. (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) Thanks, Christy. 